0: Last time we left off around 1949 with RCA competing with the Columbia Broadcasting Company over television celebrities. Since I had to cut that episode short I wasn't able to get into RCA's movement into television nor their separation from General Electric. And so we're traveling back in time to the 1930s to continue the story of the Radio Corporation of America. In 1929 Vladimir Zorikin, or however that had convinced David Sarnoff that a commercial version of the television technology he had been working on since the early 1920s could become commercially viable. And so, RCA would begin early development in television technology with the goal of developing a prototype for only around $100,000. Mind you, this was, uh... After what was actually many years of research and development done by Vladimir during his time at Westinghouse previously, as well as the work RCA did during the 1930s, they would present an all-electric black and white television at the 1939 New York World's Fair, and would later begin regular experimental broadcasts from NBC Studios to New York via a new transmitter built atop the Empire State Building in April of 1939 under the terrible station name of W2XBS Channel 1 which would eventually become WNBC Channel 4, a much better name. Also around this time, RCA began selling television sets to New York citizens, such as the TRK5 and TRK9. Also, also around this time, the FCC actually limited RCA broadcasts out of fear that the sets were an attempt to flood the market in order to force RCA's broadcasting technology into being the market standard. In 1930, the United States Department of Justice charged Westinghouse, General Electric, and RCA with antitrust violations as the licensing agreements that had initially formed RCA had created spheres of influence, and the three were able to form illegal monopolies from this. What is it with these companies and antitrust violations? After two years of negotiation, the Justice Department accepted an agreement that removed the restrictions established by the cross-licensing agreements, as well as made RCA an independent company from Westinghouse and GE. This meant that the two had to both let go of their ownership of RCA, as well as anything that had been directly owned by RCA under them. Also, in order to allow RCA to establish itself as an independent company, GE and Westinghouse couldn't enter the radio business for another two and a half years. Why can't we do more cool antitrust stuff like this nowadays more? Like, come on, split AWS in four. Eventually, RCA did begin to diversify. Months before the US entered World War II, RCA laid the cornerstone of a new research and development facility in Princeton, New Jersey, calling it RCA Laboratories. The facility, which was led by Elmer Engstrom for many years, helped develop a lot of things, including color television, the electron microscope, CMOS-based technology, heterojunction physics, optoelectronic emittive devices, (laughs) liquid crystal displays, or LCDs as they're called, video cassette recorders, direct broadcast television, direct broadcast satellite systems, and high-definition television. Please do look up heterojunction if you don't understand my explanation of it. It is the interface between two semiconductors that have different crystalline structures and optoelectronic emitting devices are things like leds and solar panels essentially also in 1941 after the u.s involvement in world war ii rca plants began to switch to military development and in 1942 rca was tasked by the military to help develop madame x a project which was a proximity fuse, a device used to allow bombs to detonate before they hit their target. An example of this technology would be nuclear bombs, which tend to explode before they hit the ground in order to cause more damage. Of course, also in World War II, RCA was also involved in radio and radar development, and for their experience in the field, was ranked 43rd among corporations in the value of war contracts. Both during and after the war, RCA would set up new company divisions to develop space exploration, defense, and some more, and the RCA Service Corporation was able to supply staff for the distant early warning line, which is a project to detect Soviet bombers coming over the Arctic, because that's the quickest route from Russia to the United States. RCA and JVC would, of course, also sever ties during the war, although the rest of Victor remained. Going back to television, the National Television System Committee, also known as NTSC, also known as the group that's responsible for the weird 29.2797 standard frame rate of television, had their recommended standard adopted, and the FCC allowed the broadcast of commercial television starting on the 1st of July 1941. We are only 21 years away from the 100 year anniversary of the United States joining World War II. While the war would slow down the development of television amongst many other technologies, RCA did double down on their efforts in 1945 as soon as they could. In an event that the management at RCA must have seen as a sort of comeuppance, the FCC attempted to adopt a color television standard that Columbia Broadcasting had developed in 1950. The effort failed due to the lack of compatibility with curtain black and white sets, perhaps much to RCA's delight. I can just imagine David Sarnoff sitting at the top of RCA tower doing that thing where you like touch your hands by the fingertips, you know, where you like touch your fingertips like all the evil people do, and he's maniacally laughing after hearing the news of that. After that whole situation, RCA had developed their own standard that black and white sets could receive properly about as properly as a black-and-white TV receiving a color signal can, and worked via broadcasting both a grayscale and color image via interlacing simultaneously, allowing for both set types to receive the signal, and their standard was adopted by the FCC in 1953. Given this situation, as well as other factors I imagine, Sarnoff predicted that color TV sales would be 1.78 million annually by 1956, The actual numbers of sales in 1956? 120,000! Due mostly to price, adjustment difficulty, and a lack of proper programming. RCA's ownership of NBC did help them in this case, as they were able to use it to try and boost sales by promoting their color broadcasts. Even so, color TV wouldn't surpass grayscale in sales until 1968, a full 12 years later, and just in time to watch the moon landing. RCA also became the standard in terms of television cameras later on, providing the TK40 and 41 cameras during a time when their color television sets were gaining popularity. Apparently also during this time, aka before 1955, RCA had been making appliances under the RCA estate brand name. In 1955, however, RCA sold that brand to Whirlpool, allowing them to brand their appliances with RCA Whirlpool into the 1960s. In 1955, however, RCA sold that brand to Whirlpool Corporation, allowing them to brand their appliances with RCA Whirlpool into the 1960s. Also in the 1960s, RCA had apparently entered into the mainframe computing business, joining many other companies that would attempt to challenge the market dominance of IBM. And in doing so, Sarnoff did come up with an interesting idea. At the time, he didn't think that the future of mainframe computers would be as essentially large, glorified central processing units. He imagined them playing a very different role in the future than they did presently. To quote him on the subject, The computer will become the hub of a vast network of remote data stations and information banks, feeding into the machine at a transmission rate of a billion or more bits of information a second. Eventually, a global communications network handling voice, data, and facsimile will eventually link man to machine, or machine to machine, by land, air, underwater, and space circuits. The computer will affect man's way of thinking, his means of education, his relationship to his physical and social environment, and it will alter his ways of living. Before the end of this century, these forces will coalesce into what unquestionably will become the greatest adventure of the human mind. Essentially, in that quote, Sarnoff had predicted the internet, which I think is really interesting back in the 1960s by this point. He also did, of course, make a 1 billion bits per second prediction. So did we achieve that? Well, a billion bits is about 125 megabytes. The average internet speed is only 5 megabytes a second. But you do have some ethernet standards, like 10 gigabit, that can do 1 gigabyte per second, and that's 8 billion bits. So the average internet speed hasn't quite reached the prediction, but we do have network connections that can travel at eight times his prediction, which I think is really cool. But beyond that, let's move back to the actual business side of RCA's computer business, when they would produce the Spectra 70 which is a computer that was hardware compatible with IBM System 360 machines, uh, but it wasn't software compatible, which is very interesting. Uh, They would also produce the RCA series, very well named, which was to compete with the IBM 370 computers. The RCA line was leased to the English Electric Company, who would produce what was essentially a Spectra 70 clone. It was called the System 4. They would also produce an operating system called RCATSOS, or the Time Sharing Operating System, in 1968. But despite all their efforts and investment, by 1971 they still only had a 4% market share, and it would cost them an estimated $500 million just to keep at that percentage. And so, in September of 1971, the decision was made to close the division and write it off as a $490 million company loss, handing the division over to UNIVAC in 1972. Moving on from computing, RCA had also helped in the development of the 8-track tape cartridge, which released in 1965. The 8-track was a success, both financially and critically, in the consumer market up until it was later surpassed by the 4-track cassette tape developed by Philips. I can't say that the 8-track was much more of a success than their mainframe computing efforts. On January 1st, 1965, RCA ownership would change for the first time in seemingly forever going from david sarnoff to robert sarnoff yes robert would take over as president while david remained chairman of the board so essentially the transfer of power was mostly symbolic as david was still the chairman of the board of directors and robert was just the president of the company so i don't know i don't know why they changed it but despite that despite that robert would still make moves towards changing rca and their image most notably by changing the logo from the old round style into the new more recognizable block letter design in 1968 and it was described as a futuristic design along with the logo the old victor branding such as nipper and his master's voice that stuff would be mostly dropped had only seen on the Red Seal Records. Now let me tell you about the Red Seal Records, okay? They've been around since before RCA existed. It was founded by a Russian company in 1902 as a marketing ploy to sell records at a higher price by having them feature top-tier artists. So essentially, you put the highest artists on these fancy Red Seal Records, and then people pay more for them even though you can probably still buy those artists' songs on other records. But moving back to RCA itself, the company's name was officially changed to RCA Corporation from the Radio Corporation of America in 1969 because they felt that they had moved to a wider range of products as opposed to just radio and america on the topic of corporate diversification rca during the 1960s and 70s would make a great yet strange effort to diversify most notably by acquiring lots of strange companies Now, I say strange, not because the companies themselves are strange, but rather that RCA's interests are strange. Such as Hertz, the rental car company, uh, banquet frozen TV dinners, uh, Coronet, a carpet company, Random House Publishing, Gibson greeting cards, I don't know why RCA is interested in this. This is not how you diversify, you don't just buy loads of companies, that's not how any of this works, RCA. You guys aren't doing this right you have to diversify gradually and because of their terrible decision making of course the decisions would prove futile banquet was only with the company for 10 years and they had fallen into financial trouble because of it they were often called rugs chickens and automobiles which abbreviates to rca because of this sudden and the whiplash-inducing direction shift that they just underwent. Back to 1969 and corporate leadership, David Sarnoff was removed as the director of the board after he had been nearly incapacitated by a long-term illness and would die in 1971. And immediately after his father died, Robert would be a very not-great-company leader. He'd prove to not be a great-company leader, given the, uh given the direction shift suddenly, and he would be ousted in 1975 by a boardroom coup. His replacements, however, did not prove very uh, not prove very great. Anthony Conrad was a leader of the coup and would take his place after him, but he would also resign after less than a year uh, because he admitted to failing to file his income tax returns for six years, which sounds like tax evasion to me, but I don't know. In 1955, however, RCA sold that brand to Whirlpool Corporation, allowing them to brand their appliances with RCA Whirlpool into the 1960s. Also in the 1960s, RCA had apparently entered into the mainframe computing business, joining many other companies that would attempt to challenge the market dominance of IBM. And in doing so, Sarnoff did come up with an interesting idea. At the time, he didn't think that the future of mainframe computers would be as essentially large, glorified central processing units. He imagined them playing a very different role in the future than they did presently. To quote him on the subject, "...the computer will become the hub of a vast network of remote data stations and information banks feeding into the machine at a transmission rate of a billion or more bits of information a second." Eventually, a global communications network handling voice, data, and facsimile will eventually link man to machine or machine to machine by land, air, underwater, and space circuits. The computer will affect man's way of thinking, his means of education, his relationship to his physical and social environment, and it will alter his ways of living. Before the end of this century, these forces will coalesce into what unquestionably will become the greatest adventure of the human mind. Essentially, in that quote, Sarnoff had predicted the internet, which I think is really interesting back in the 1960s by this point. He also did, of course, make a 1 billion bits per second prediction. So did we achieve that? Well, a billion bits is about 125 megabytes. The average internet speed is only 5 megabytes a second. But you do have some ethernet standards, like 10 gigabit, that can do 1 gigabyte per second and that's eight billion bits so the average internet speed hasn't quite reached the prediction but we do have network connections that can travel at eight times his prediction which i think is really cool beyond that let's move back to the actual business side of rca's computer business when they would produce the spectra 70 which is a computer that was hardware compatible with ibm system 360 machines uh, but it wasn't software compatible, which is very interesting. Uh, they would also produce the RCA series, very well named, which was to compete with the IBM 370 computers. The RCA line was leased to the English Electric Company, who would produce what was essentially a Spectra 70 clone. It was called the System 4. They would also produce an operating system called RCA or the Time Sharing Operating System, in 1968. But despite all their efforts and investment, by 1971 they still only had a 4% market share, and it would cost them an estimated $500 million just to keep at that percentage. And so, in September of 1971, the decision was made to close the division and write it off as a $490 million company loss, handing the division over to UNIVAC in 1972. Moving on from computing, RCA had also helped in the development of the 8-track tape cartridge, which released in 1965. The 8-track was a success, both financially and critically, in the consumer market up until it was later surpassed by the 4-track cassette tape developed by Philips. I can't say that the 8-track was much more of a success than their mainframe computing efforts. On January 1st, 1965, RCA ownership would change for the first time in seemingly forever going from david sarnoff to robert sarnoff yes robert would take over as president while david remained chairman of the board so essentially the transfer of power was mostly symbolic as david was still the chairman of the board of directors and robert was just the president of the company so i don't know i don't know why they changed it but despite that despite that robert would still make moves towards changing rca and their image most notably by changing the logo from the old round style into the new more recognizable block letter design in 1968 and it was described as a futuristic design along with the logo the old victor branding such as nipper and his master's voice that stuff would be mostly dropped and only seen on the Red Seal Records. Now let me tell you about the Red Seal Records, okay? They've been around since before RCA existed. It was founded by a Russian company in 1902 as a marketing ploy to sell records at a higher price by having them feature top-tier artists. So essentially, you put the highest artists on these fancy Red Seal Records, and then people pay more for them even though you can probably still buy those artists' songs on other records. But moving back to RCA itself, the company's name was officially changed to RCA Corporation from the Radio Corporation of America in 1969 because they felt that they had moved to a wider range of products as opposed to just Radio and america on the topic of corporate diversification rca during the 1960s and 70s would make a great yet strange effort to diversify most notably by acquiring lots of strange companies Now, I say strange, not because the companies themselves are strange, but rather that RCA's interests are strange. Such as Hertz, the rental car company, uh, banquet frozen TV dinners, uh, Coronet, a carpet company, Random House Publishing, Gibson greeting cards, I don't know why RCA is interested in this. This is not how you diversify, you don't just buy loads of companies, that's not how any of this works, RCA. You guys aren't doing this right, you have to diversify gradually. And because of their terrible decision making, of course the decisions would prove futile. Banquet was only with the company for 10 years, and they had fallen into financial trouble because of it. They were often called rugs, chickens, and automobiles, which abbreviates to RCA because of this sudden and whiplash inducing direction shift that they just underwent back to 1969 and corporate leadership david sarnoff was removed as the director of the board after he had been nearly incapacitated by a long-term illness and would die in 1971 and immediately after his father died robert would be a very not great company leader he'd prove to not be a great company leader given the uh Given the direction shift, suddenly, and he would be ousted in 1975 by a boardroom coup. His replacements, however, did not prove very, uh, not prove very great. Anthony Conrad was a leader of the coup and would take his place after him. But he would also resign after less than a year. Uh, because he admitted to failing to file his income tax returns for six years, which sounds like tax evasion to me, but I don't know. After that would come Edgar Griffiths, and he just proved unpopular and retired in 1981. I couldn't find anything too remarkable on him. Finally. Finally in 1981 Thornton Bradshaw would take the position of president and continue on to be the final president of the RCA corporation I suppose it was called now and as as time went on RCA would prove that indeed the thing they were best at was still radio because they were the radio corporation of America they would keep a high standard of engineering for broadcast equipment and satellite communication equipment However, ventures like NBC radio and television would begin to decline for RCA. And then in 1976, as an attempt to reconnect with its heritage as well as popular demand, Griffiths. Remember, he was president for a couple of years. He would revive the nipper branding in any country they were able to, putting it in many adverts and on merchandise like t-shirts, watches, stuffed animals, keychains, everything. It was even put onto RCA delivery trucks and shipping cartons, and it was even put onto TV sets and CED players for a time. C-E-D, not C-D, C-E-D. Very different thing. CED's pretty cool. Speaking of, uh, during this time, RCA would also try and fail to introduce new consumer electronic products such as the RCA Studio 2, a video game console that released in 1977, and the RCA CED, a video on vinyl product that was released in 1981, too late to complete with systems like VHS. The CED in particular was bad for RCA, as it lost them several hundred million dollars by the time it stopped production in 1986. Granted, much of that expense was in the research and development of the product that began in the late 1960s. CED was a pretty cool product. You can find plenty of articles and videos talking about what it was able to do in its entire story standalone, better than I could ever tell it. But moving on from that, in 1980, RCA opted to begin moving its television manufacturing to Mexico, and in 1983 would have Hitachi, instead of Panasonic, produce VHS VCRs for them. RCA during the 1980s would buy large shares of the home video market from other companies. Columbia sold its entire share to RCA in 1981, with RCA renaming it RCA Columbia International Video outside of the US and home video within the states. And later on in 1983, Artista Records, who owned Bertelsmann, sold 50% of their shares to RCA and RCA would later enter a joint venture with Bertelsmann called RCA Areola International, who would take over the management of RCA records. RCA moved its Broadcast Systems Division to the same site as their Antenna Engineering Facility in 1984, which was only a year before they announced that same division would be closing. This meant that their Camden Facility equipment was all sold off, and the RCA Victor Facilities were all torn down, the only ones surviving were the ones that were nearly a hundred years old. And even that was only because they were on the U.S. National Register of Historic Places. For further information on them, there's a Wikipedia page on the Nipper Building, which is the old headquarters of the Victor Talking Machine Company and RCA Victor for a time. Speaking of, the Nipper Building would be the headquarters for L3 Communications East, an aerospace development company before they were moved to a building the city built, freeing up the Nipper Building to be made into apartments in 2004. For a bit of reference as to how bad RCA was doing by the mid-80s, General Electric announced that they were going to re-acquire RCA in December of 1985. The sale price was $6.2 billion at the time. Nowadays, that's over $14.8 billion, and it was sold at $66.5 a share. I tried to go hunting for their stock price in the 60s to compare, but I suppose that information has been lost to the dust of time. Or maybe it's behind a paywall on some website. The world may never know. All I can speculate is that $66 is probably much lower than its peak during the mid-century-ish. After the sale was completed in 1986, GE immediately decided to sell most of RCA's assets, including in 1987 when they sold RCA Global Communications Incorporated to MCI Communications Corporation. The division was one of the oldest parts of the company, dating all the way back to the founding. And they sold almost everything, eventually leaving GE with only the RCA Government Services Division after NBC was sold to Comcast. This was all despite G promising to keep RCA as an autonomous unit. Though I do suppose that you can't get much more autonomous than being part of another company. Later on, the division Sarnoff Labs, who helped develop things like color television, CMOS integrated circuitry, and electron microscopes, was put on a very terrible five-year plan with GE. You see, during the first year, they would fund all the labs' activities, but then slowly lower the funding until nearly nothing was funded by GE in the fifth year. Due to this, Sarnoff Labs had to reincorporate itself as the Sarnoff Corporation and find a way to support itself. As it currently stands, Sarnoff Corporation seems to keep up operation, with it being a private company, so I haven't found too much on what they're currently doing. Nowadays, RCA's legacy is still strong, with many collectors of old radio equipment from the golden age of radio, which was the 1920s to the 1950s, collecting RCA equipment. The name is historic, the styling on the units are favored, and many engineering innovations originated in RCA equipment. Some of the most collectible equipment is their pre-war television sets, manufactured between 1939 and 1941. This includes the TRK-5, 9, and 12 model televisions. The RCA Heritage Museum was founded in 2012 at Rowan University in Glassboro, New Jersey. The museum apparently has over 2,000 records made by RCA Victor, as well as a Victrola that dates to 1908 some technical publications, and 200 corporate planning notes. If you're interested in the subject and are in the area, then the Nipper Building and the Heritage Museum are probably good things to take a look at. There's also still a standard cable called the RCA cable, which would always show up when searching for the company. And even today, some electronics are still sold with the RCA name on them, such as a Retro Microwave, which looks very modern for being retro. RCA overall had a large hand in the radio, television, and consumer electronics markets between the 1920s and 1960s. NBC, of course, was one of the largest television networks of the time. RCA Victor is a brand that anyone who owned records at the time knew. Victrola is a brand that's still used today to make the only record players I've seen, even I've got one. Their Sarnoff Labs division helped with many innovations that are still in use today, such as their work on electron microscopes. The company does still exist and sell its own stuff, like the Retro Microwave, and in 2019 they even celebrated their 100th birthday. I'd also like to point out on the 100 years of magic image on the Our Values page on RCA.com, it looks like there's a puppy nipper present, which I found amusing given the small trend of having baby versions of certain popular characters. They seem to have Philo, a streaming service now, as well as active Facebook and Twitter pages. Overall, RCA seems to be holding on to its strong history as a selling point, and they don't seem to be doing too bad for themselves either. Sometimes I still wonder if everything would have gone differently had Sarnoff paid the NBC celebrities more.